good. So this morning, um, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to share. Uh, it's the uh, season where the pastors are all gone on holidays, so they get fill-ins, and it's a lot of fun to fill in. So I'm thankful for the opportunity, and uh, let's just uh, pray to begin from Psalm 19. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, be pleasing in your sight. And Holy Spirit, I invite you here this morning to teach and to speak and to touch us. Amen. So, everybody have a good summer? Yeah, nice to be back. Nice to see people again that have been away at different times through the summer and get back together. This morning I'm speaking on, uh, we're still in the Finding God on Your iPod series, so the, the song that I've chosen is an old song by James Taylor. And uh, so how many James Taylor fans? Hey, we got a few, mostly old people. So the way churches are going these days, they're trying to be hip and cool and, and uh, everything's for young people, so I wanted to do something for the older people. Randy Friesen's here, um, you know, Ron Feenstra, of course, the Wilsons. Um, it's nice to just uh, speak to the elderly in your congregation once in a while. So we, uh, <laughs> if you're young, you're going to love this song, it's fantastic. Um, my kids even listen to it. So, uh, it's uh, it, a little preface. So, there's a ship trying to sail, like in the 1800s, trying to get across the Northwest Passage, trying to go from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific, uh, trying to find a route. Even with all the global warming that we've been working hard on for the last 150 years, it's still really tricky to get across the Northwest Passage. It's almost impossible to find a proper route there because of the ice. But they're trying to do that long ago. And... Uh, and of course, many of those ships were lost at sea. And so what happened was there was a ship called the Franklin, mid-1800s, and it went, it, it was, there was a wreck, and they were stranded. Uh, the crew were stranded uh, for upwards of two years, maybe more, and they actually found graves of people who had been living there for a couple years. They were just shipwrecked and stranded on the ice. And interestingly enough, when you, uh, when you get buried in ice, you preserve pretty good. And you freeze. And we actually have like, a, like one of the tombstones that they had up um, way up in the north. I think we can show it on the screen. I'm not sure. There it is. Yeah. Hard to make out. And this one, if you're a little squeamish, close your eyes. Carrie Lynn said, don't show this picture. So I'm sorry. <laughs> but Murray said to show it. So if you're a little squeamish, just close your eyes. But if you're not squeamish, you want to see this guy. So he's frozen in ice for um, 150 years. And they brought him out, and here's what he looked like. Is he on there? Yeah. There he is. So James Taylor is reading, uh, reading uh, National Geographic. Uh, more accurately, he's looking at the pictures, like we all do in National Geographic. He's like, I didn't really read the article at all. I just saw the picture, and he looked so like still close to being alive. I thought, what if he came back to life? Like, what if they could resuscitate him? And so he writes this song. Um, he writes that song with the idea that this guy's coming back to life 150 years later, or whatever it might be. So with that, we'll play the song. The words to live by uh, have the lyrics, and I said, well, I think we have lyrics up on the screen for you to follow along. Enjoy the song. How many of you heard that song before? Anyone? Nobody. Wow. My kids? Yes, they've heard it. <laughs> 
Um, one of my favorite James Taylor songs, my wife's like, what are you, you going to talk about? I have no idea what you're going to talk about this morning. It's a ridiculous song. <laughs> so strike two. Don't show the picture. Why would you ever do that song? I'm going to try and make it through here. We're almost done. Well, the, t- the title, Lord Have Mercy on the Frozen Man, I love the title. Um, every time he sings it in concert, he, call it, he, t- he says the title, and he says, Lord Have Mercy on the Frozen Man. Lord Have Mercy is a phrase that the church has been using, actually, for almost 2,000 years uh, in liturgy. Every single time the church would meet for hundreds and hundreds of years, they would say, Lord Have Mercy, Christ Have Mercy, Lord Have Mercy. Uh, it, it is, uh, it's part of the tradition that came out of the readings of the Gospels, where so many times people would say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And so they included that as part of something that the church should say together whenever they meet. Uh, And I love that he puts that at the front of of this song. It's not just the frozen man. It's Lord, have mercy on the frozen man. I'll get to why why I'm doing this song later. But um, let's just say together, Lord, have mercy. Together we'll say... Lord, have mercy. Um, We join along with people for 2,000 years when we say that in unison, together, out loud. So I'm just going to go through the song uh, quickly, um, and then I want to look at David and the Psalms and read read two or three Psalms to you. And and then I want to look at a figure from history, St. John of the Cross, that lived 400 years ago, and uh, see if we can't tie some things together here. So... Uh, last thing, if you want to follow along in your words to live by, I've got the, the psalms that I'll be reading as well as the lyrics to the song Frozen Man. So if you want to read along, you feel free or just listen and I'll read them to you. Last thing I remember is the freezing cold. Water reaching up just to swallow me whole. Ice in the rigging and howling wind. Shock to my buddy as we tumble in. Then my brothers and the others are lost at sea. I, am al- I alone am returned to tell thee. Hidden in ice for a century to walk the world again. Lord, have mercy on the frozen man. Um, Brutal cold, terrible storm, they all fall in, and they survive the crash. Uh, And then he's actually literally buried in ice for a century. Um, And then the the, the story, the imagination in the stories is brought back uh, to life to walk on the world again. And so then he says, for a person that's like that, that's gone through that process, uh, James says, Lord, have mercy on the frozen man. The next stanza. Next words that were spoken to me, nurse asked me what the name might be. I just love the image of this, right? This like, this guy wakes up. He's like, she was all in white at the foot of my bed. I said, angel of mercy, I'm alive or am I dead? My name is William James McPhee. I was born in 1843, raised in Liverpool by the sea, but that ain't who I am. Lord, have mercy on the frozen man. He wakes up to find himself in some sort of a hospital, uh, someplace where there's a nurse, and it's far into the distant future. And I, I like when he gets to the line there where he says, my name is William James McPhee. His voice rises as he sings. And it's like his memory's flooding back and he's remembering what's happened, right? He's remembering, oh yeah, that's the guy I was. That's the life I lived. Um, he, it, it swells up in the melody. And it's like he's remembering with pride who he used to be. And of course, looking at the picture, he's not that guy anymore. He remembers his name, he tells us where he lived, uh, he tells us you know, what he did for a living, all those kind of things, but we don't, we don't really know who he was as a human being. We don't really know who he was as a family man. We don't really know 
anything about him, just some of the surface details, right? Because um, he says, but that ain't who I am. Um, the human being with depth and soul and character and heart and spirit, sheer stats and details can't tell anything about that guy. And for him, his whole life has, you know, essentially been lost. It's a distant memory for him. It makes me think of uh, things that I'm super familiar with, like social media, Snapchat, and Facebook, and Instagram. They can't, those things can't tell other people who you really are. You know, we can make a video and show this trick that we did. We can start a story on one of those things. People read it. We can bake a cake and take a picture of it and show people what we did. We can go out for dinner, which is my personal favorite, and take a picture of my meal and send it to people. But I do that with, I do that with mail and envelopes still. Um, no, just kidding. You can make yourself look really good if you get the right angle on a selfie stick. And then you can post that, so you, you, you can project this picture out, but that's not who you are. This surface, highly edited version of ourselves paints a picture, um, and how often we try to project the same thin image outwards in real life, lacking the depth of a real, live human being with a spirit and a soul that needs God. But that ain't who I am. And I wonder, you know, I think about lots of us, no matter what age you are, from a kid to an adult, how often do we lay in bed sometimes and think about how life went that day and did we, uh, were we projecting something that wasn't quite accurate? Were we trying to be somebody or not? Were we trying to put on a, uh, like a picture on Snapchat? Um, and sometimes I think we lay awake at night and think, that's not who I am. Um, next stanza. It took a lot of money to start my heart to peg my leg and to buy my eye. The newspapers call me state-of-the-art, and the children, when they see me, cry, for obvious reasons. I thought it'd be nice just to visit my grave, see what kind of tombstone I might have made. It looks beside and says, I, see my, I saw my wife and daughter, and it seems so strange, both of them dead and gone from extreme old age. See here, when I die, make sure I'm gone. Don't leave them nothing to work on. You can raise your arm and you can wiggle your hand unlike myself, so you can say goodbye to the frozen man. He realizes he's not, he's not going to ever be the same guy that he was before, and he wished he wasn't back. It's almost like, you know, pegging his leg and paying money to start his heart. He's like the $6 million man, which dates me, I suppose. <laughs> he's like the $6 million man and Frankenstein combined. The children see him and they scream. Um, and he goes, he goes on looking at his past life. His family is long since gone. Um, and he laments and realizes that they are not coming back, and he's all alone in this world. Then he goes on to say, and this is where I feel like he turns it from the story of the guy, this frozen man, and he, take, and he turns it and he's talking about himself as the singer. I know what it means to freeze to death, to lose a little life with every breath, to say goodbye to life on earth, to come around again. Lord, have mercy on the frozen man. Lord, have mercy on the frozen man. These are personal lines um, that he ends with. Thinking back, uh, thinking about his own life and how in his own life does he freeze to death. The coldest day I recall in my life was not in the winter, it was in the spring. And I was tree planting 
and, uh, and it was pouring rain. We woke, we woke up, and you hear the rain on the tent, and it had been raining for days, and everything that I had was already wet. And I got all my clothes on, and they were wet, and I had a dry pair of wool socks. And I put them on, and then I got my boots on, and as soon as I, as I tightened the laces, the wet from the day before soaked into the socks, and they were soaked before I got the laces done up tight. And I headed out to the block, and we'd ride in the back of a pickup truck, oversized like a grain truck kind of thing. We'd go out all the way there, and, uh, and, and then we'd work all day. That truck would leave. We would work all day long. And then uh, at the end of the day, he would come back and pick us up and haul us out of the bush. It was like an hour drive in the back of the truck. Wind driving, rain pouring. When I read the lyrics to this song, I, my mind goes back to that day. Uh, the, the only way we had to stay warm that day was to keep moving. You had to keep moving, to keep hurry going, to keep stay warm, right? You know those kind of days. You've been in freezing cold days. And the guy down the road that was planting with us, one of the other guys on the crew, at, by about 11 o'clock or so, he just stopped. And he just stood there like this. And his hat and the rain's just pouring off. And he's just soaked right through. Like the kind of soaked where you could take off an article of clothing and just wring it out and put it back on again. And it would get soaked again. And he's just, it's just pouring down on him. And we're like, dude, you got to get moving, man. And we ran over. We're like, dude, you got to keep moving. It's like six hours till the truck comes. You can't stand there. You're going to die. He's like, oh, I'm just so cold. I can't move. I can't, I can't do anything. We're like, you got to go, man. You got to go. We bagged up with our trees again and headed out and went. Came back. Hour later, he's still standing there. Went out, came back. He's still standing there. Went out again and came back. And he's gone. We're like, oh, good. He's riled up, the, got the energy to go out and get, get working again and get his body moving again and warming up. So we go, 5, 5.30 rolls around, the truck rolls in, we all hop in the back of the truck, he's not here. And we're like, oh boy, what, has anyone seen him? Nobody has seen him since just after lunch. So we go start walking his area, walking his land. And he's on, you know, a few acres of land that he was working. So we start walking through the land and we're yelling his name, calling nowhere to be found so we go along the tree line which is the back of the area so the forest and we start we just went into the forest because nobody had seen him on the cut block where we were working so we went into the forest and we found him sound asleep underneath the tree the boughs of a spruce tree and he crawled in there he was blue (laughs) and we got him up out of there he was just shaking he he wasn't even really with it anymore we got him back got him warmed up and he was good. But, I mean, he could have died in that kind of cold, right? Um, in, our, in our journey of faith, uh, sometimes we go through seasons where we feel like we're freezing to death. We go through seasons where it's cold, and it's dark, and it's quiet, and it's lonely. And those are normal part of our journey of faith. David knew what it was like to freeze to death. How many have read the Psalms? Few more than have heard this song that I'm doing. Good. I'll read some Psalms to you. Psalm 42. My tears have been my food day and night. (laughs) He's sad. (laughs) Like seriously, my tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. I used to get to go there. 
I used to have shouts of praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within my, me? Put your hope in God, for I will, I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He's not saying I'm praising him. He said, I will yet praise him, because I can't right now. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you for the land of the Jordan, the heights of the Hermon, and, the, and uh, sorry, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And then he clings to this, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise my Savior and my God. Then the very next chapter, 43, uh, from the Psalms. You are, my, you are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He says the same line again. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It's almost like he's just reciting, he's repeating this phrase. He's in a state where he can't even praise God. But he says, put your hope in God for I will praise him again one day. I can't right now. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Jesus repeats those lines on the cross, quoting David. So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out, day, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. By night I find no rest. Dark place, no answers. God stays silent. He rejects me, he's in anguish, uh, waves crash over me, he's forgotten me, tears, of for tears are used for food, that's how bad it is, bones suffer mortal agony. I think he could say the lines, I know what it means to freeze to death, to lose a little life with every breath, say goodbye to life on earth, and come around again. You know, in, uh, in the church today, you know, I feel like we, we live in a culture that's just filled with consumerism and the drive to get more and this thing's going to make you happy and we know that doesn't work, but we do it anyway. Um, and I feel like in church we kind of feel the same way, right? Like we are often feel like we're, so, well, we're Christians, we're supposed to be happy. Um, entertainment is what we're here for on Sunday morning, right? Um, if it's not fun, it's, if it's not, ooh, which worship leader is on this Sunday? I go camping. <laughs> oh, Trent's filling in for Matt, the real preacher. You know what? I'm going to go home and visit my in-laws. <laughs> You're the good folks that don't read the bulletin info ahead of time, so you didn't know who was here. But, um, you know, we're like, like we laugh because we're consumer Christians, right? We're coming here to consume a little bit. Like, and it's not our fault. We live in a culture that consumes all the time. All the time. Um, but it, part of that is that sense that, like, I'm going to go, I'm going to consume, and then I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to be sad anymore. I'm not going to be down anymore. I should never be down. And if it's boring, I'm out of here. Um, if it's not quite meeting my needs, I'm out of here. Um, you know, if, it do, if I don't get the spiritual high I was hoping for, I'll go somewhere else and find that. Um, we're inundated with consuming in our culture today. 
And the church is bought in, I think, in some ways. And so I want to take a look at another person from history. David's a few thousand years ago. A few hundred years ago was a guy named St. John of the Cross. Uh, he lived from 1542 to 1591. So those of you that are familiar with the church history, the Reformation happened in the early 1500s, the Protestant Reformation. And then within the Catholic Church, there was a counter-reformation where they said, oh, actually, there are a few things that we need to clean up here and change. And he was a major driver of that counter-reformation in that period of history. So a brief, a brief uh, window into St. John of the Cross. He grew up in a small town of, in Spain. Uh, his parents were poor. Actually, his dad was wealthy, and he married, but he married an orphan of a peasant family. And so his family said, you're out, and kicked him out. He no longer could do the job that he had before, and he had to go, I think he was a weaver or something like that, became a weaver, um, and didn't make very much money. Um, Shortly after John was born, his dad passed away. I think he was two or three years old. His dad died. So now he's left with an orphan, uh, born mom in poverty with two kids. Uh, two years after his dad died, his older brother died. Um, so he's left alone, highly malnourished. St. John of the Cross, he, he didn't grow, he wasn't even, he didn't, he like stopped growing at a certain height. He was quite short. Um, clearly did not have the nourishment he needed growing up. Uh, wasn't very healthy. Uh, he ended up being allowed to go into a school uh, that was run by the church uh, that was primarily for orphans in the area. So he received some education. And they realized he's a sharp kid. He was bright. And so they actually moved him on in his studies, and he was able to study theology and religion. Um, and, uh, and he became uh, one of the leaders in the church. Uh, coming out from that kind of a, a growing up experience where he almost died probably from malnutrition. He's given a role in the church leadership and he starts to, he's in this, in this you know, century of change and breaking apart and shifting and seeing problems that had grown over the centuries and wanting to change them for the better. And he became highly involved in those kind of movements. Uh, so much so, in fact, that his uh, his... Uh, comrades, I guess, his, his buddies in those same movements thought he was too radical, pushing too hard for change, and they snuck in and they arrested him, and they put him in prison. Uh, he was in prison for nine months, uh, ten by six-foot cell, uh, no light, no contact with people, uh, very little. Uh, very little food was given to him, and the only thing they afforded him was paper and a pen and a little prayer a little prayer book and he started to write and he write, wrote poems um, he is probably the most famous Spanish writer of that century um, so he was also exposed to public lashings weekly so he would be taken out and he would be beaten publicly um, no change of clothes after nine months he uh, got the hinges broken off of a door that went to another cell, and in the night he snuck into the other cell, and then they escaped out a window. And he got back, went, uh, went back to another location and got safe haven, and uh, was nursed back to health. Took a while, actually, for him to get better. But when he did, he started his, uh, his work again to see reforms happen in the church. It didn't slow him down one bit. Some of you might recall a painting by Salvador Dali, I think we've shown in the church before, and we have a we have a photo of the or a picture of it to put up. Um, 
Salvador Dali was, was able to go um, uh, and view a painting that was actually done by St. John of the Cross, this guy from 400 years ago. It was a drawing that he'd done. Uh, and so Salvador Dali went to see this drawing, and it inspired him to do this uh, painting, which is Dali's most famous painting, for sure. And he, that's why he calls it um, Christ of St. John of the Cross. Um, I have a picture of the sketch as well that we can show. And the sketch that St. John of the Cross drew is this one. And you can see the similarities, right? This perspective, this different perspective on Christ uh, that's looking from above. I'm not going to go into all that stuff. But what I did was include uh, a picture of that in your bulletin that, that if, you, if you enjoyed that or appreciate it, you can take that and keep it. And this, this one is called Christ from Above. Um, it hangs in a villa, Spain today. You can see it if you go there. His most famous work, uh, his most famous uh, book that he wrote, uh, of many books, uh, classic of religious literature, is called The Dark Night of the Soul. He predates Batman by 400 years. <laughs> and I thought, I'm connecting with old people, and now I'm going to connect with young people, and it's going to be awesome. The Dark Knight of the Soul. It's, this is the original Batman story. A um, little bit different, though. We can see from his life, he lived through some dark nights, right? He had a hard run. His friends put him in prison. Um, feared for his life many times. Uh, and while he laid in that cell, in the dark, with very little food, no change of clothes, um, he realized that going through a dark night of the soul is important for a spiritual journey. So here's what he wrote. It's a little bit 400 years ago English, so bear with me. Into this dark night souls begin to enter when God draws them forth from the state of beginners, which is the state of that meditate, state of those that meditate on the spiritual road, and begins to set them in the state of progressives, which is that of those who are already contemplatives, to the end that, after passing through it, they may arrive at the state of perfection, which is that of the divine union of the soul of God. Wow. That's heavy. <laughs> it's a mouthful. Um, breaking it apart a little bit and saying it in today's language a little bit easier. Beginners in the faith, he, what he says is, anyone, anyone who is on a journey of faith, and it's all of us together, um, in a journey of spiritual faith to Jesus, are drawn by God to progress in that journey. So God draws you through a journey to get you to where he wants you to be. That makes sense? Passing through a dark night, he says, passing through a dark night, they arrive at perfection, which he's meaning to say something more like completeness or fullness. Uh, to a place where you have a greater union with God. Okay, So it's this idea that, that you go through a dark night in order, and, and you're pulled through by God because he wants you to walk through dark nights to come out the other side so that your union with God might be more rich. Um, a dark night, a time where God stays silent, feels like he's against you, forsaken you, alone, doubt, questions with no answers, searching, confusion. This is part of our journey sometimes. Uh, 
And St. John of the Cross goes on to say that the purpose of these dark nights is to draw into deeper, and here's another quote, draw into deeper mystery of the love of God. Those that emerge say, stay more attuned to the love of God and to a deeper union of the soul with God. Interesting, hey? Those that emerge stay more attuned to the love of God. They're led by God through this time. So think back, I guess. Think back for yourself. Has there been seasons like that for you? Are you in a season like that now? Might you go into a season like that one day? I know what it means to freeze to death, to lose a little life with every breath. But the line in the song has become, that James Taylor sings, that line, has become a modern day psalm for me. When I read that line, I hear David speaking. I hear those endless psalms of his flood back to me. But we come around again. And John says that if we come through, when we come through, not if we come through, but when we come through, we have a closeness, an intimacy, a depth. Um, we must push forward. And I, I can't tell you how long this is. You know, for John, it was nine months. For you, it might be nine days. It might be nine weeks. It might be, I don't know, it might be longer. But you will come through because God is the one that is pulling you through it. And when we come out, we see God in a new way. When you come through, you see God in a new way, right? Uh, you, you think he's different than he used to be. I never knew that was the way God was before. It's like a, an aha moment, so to speak. But here's what's interesting. God didn't change. You did. You come through and be like, oh, this is way different than I ever thought before. He's totally like this or this or this now. I don't want to label it by, you know, I don't want to, I want this to be for yourself and how, what you've journeyed through and honor that. I don't want to pull other ideas and put them in your head of how this works. It's different for everyone. But you come out and you say, oh, he's like this. I never knew this. He never changed. We did. We changed. Last May, a year ago, last May, I broke my leg. Um, I wasn't able to work very much. I was pretty laid up. I was quite high on all manner of medication for pain. I was stuck in a chair at home, and I was alone a lot. And it was, it was, it was a hard season. Um, and I read, sometime along that journey, I read a verse and it's where, you know, where, where uh, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb to put spices on Jesus or whatever, that, that scene, right? And she runs and she comes to the gardener and the tomb's open, there's nobody there and the body's gone and she's freaking out and she's asking the guards and what's going on? And then she turns to the gardener um, and I think I have it written here, she says, uh, she turns and realizes uh, or looks at the gardener and, and he says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you put him, and I'll get him for you. 
um, or I'll get, and, and I will get them. And Jesus said to her, Mary. John chapter 20. He goes on to say other things. But that word Mary hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, it's hard to explain things that go on in your head and your heart. But for me, it had something to do with this place of being quite alone and a place of not being able to provide and being stuck with a broken leg and being in pain and feeling like it was kind of dark. And something about growing up feeling like God is, is he mad at me today or not mad at me today? Like there is this, I, you know, I grew up with this idea like I'm not sure what he really thinks of me. And then I got to this line, and, and when he said, and he just said, Mary. And then her eyes opened, and she saw who it was. And it was almost like I heard God's voice say, or Jesus say, Trent, I got this. And for me, that was a, a big piece of coming out, I think, of a, of a bit of a dark night. He knew my name. There's something really interesting when the creator of the cosmos says your name, like he knows it. He says, I got this. But would you get it if you didn't go through the dark time? He'd always known my name. In fact, I think I knew, obviously I knew that. He knew my name. But now I knew he knew my name. I was like, you know my name. And, uh, and I thought, this is a different God than I thought I knew. But no, it was the same God. He didn't change, I did. I'd changed. Sometimes these dark nights, these dark seasons, unfortunately, lead us to walk away from the faith. And it, it is, you know, Colton was talking about Mexico trip, and it is a, it's a, gr- a grieving process to watch these kids come through Mexico to see life come into them. And then in college, drift away. It, it tears me apart. Our culture has a hard time with hard time. That's a quote I made up. doesn't it? It has a hard time with hard time. You know, so you, you come back from somewhere and it's awesome and fantastic and it's real high and then it's gone. And now what do I do? Or sometimes life just takes you through a dark season. And what do you do? Do you walk away? Do you quit? Do you give up? Or do you journey through? Did you ever notice the people with the depth of character? You like look at somebody and you're like, oh, that person has serious depth of character. Like there is really something to that person. And it's often people who've had to walk through deep water. Somebody said that to me once years and years ago. And there is something so profoundly true about that. The people that have that depth of character that you're like, oh, that guy's awesome. Or that, that mom is just fantastic. Such deep character. 
such great love. And it's often that they have walked through difficult water, through deep water. Another garden story. I like stories from the garden. Jesus was in the garden before he was captured. And he prayed the prayer from Psalm 22 that read, read earlier. It said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From Psalm 22. We, we know, Jesus knows that our loving Heavenly Father doesn't forsake us or turn his back on us, but Jesus still felt that way. Isn't that interesting? Jesus felt that way. He felt like God forsook him. Then what happened? His friends left him. He's got, he was denied. We know the story. Turned him in. There was no one left beside him at the very end except for his mom, his friend Mary, and John, who had asked to look after his mom. So maybe he was there just to help take care of her. Everybody else was gone. Um, in the middle of that dark night. Now that's a dark night. Um, in the middle of that dark night, He continued to walk step by step. He knew, what it, he knew what it felt to freeze like to freeze to death and lose a little life with every breath, literally. And spiritually, and emotionally, and socially. So he walked step by step through that dark night. He kept going forward. He came out of it, and even before the resurrection, before the big coming through party, he forgave. Remember that? He's hanging on the cross and he forgave. He's like, these guys don't even know what they're doing, God. Just let them off the hook. He loved. He looked at his mom in, his eye, in her eyes. And he trusted the will of the Father. He trusted what he was there to do. He trusted the one who he felt like was ditching him. But he decided to continue forward. The foundations of the kingdom of God he embraced with his whole life those last few hours. He lived out what he'd been preaching. Forgiveness, love, trust, obedience. Even right through the last closing minutes of his life, his dark night of the soul. Um, the band can come up if they aren't already on their way as we kind of cruise into the conclusion here. I, I would like to encourage... You guys, to walk courageously these days. Um, walk courageously these days and days in the future. And even looking back on the past, I ask you to rethink the journeys that you've gone through in your life and to look back and see them maybe in a new light. To say, maybe, you know what, that dark night that I went through was for a purpose. Or maybe today you're in a dark night and maybe we can just together bring a little hope that you're being taken through it by the one who loves you to a new place, to a new land where God seems to have changed. Jesus even thought that his father forsook him. But he was always there beside him. God didn't change. We did. So friends, keep on keeping on. Um, if we could get that that sketch again put up on the screen um, Christ from above my prayer for you guys would be that this could maybe be a reminder for you I'm forgetful and I need reminders 
And so I put stuff in my office on purpose so I remember. And maybe it can be a reminder for you that not even Jesus was immune to dark seasons. And that not even us in our North American consumer-driven world that leaks into the way we think about church and faith, these dark seasons aren't something that we should run away from or quit in the middle of, but actually press through. It's part of our journey of faith. I pray that this drawing will keep you pressing forward step by step in your dark nights of the soul. I hope it will remind you to pray. And maybe you can only pray a little prayer during those days. Like David seemed to do at the end. He would just have that little prayer. He's like, I will, yet again, I will praise you. I'm going to put my hope in you. I'm going to do this again. Can't right now, but I'm going to do this again. And so I'm going to repeat this line over and over again. And maybe that line is, Lord, have mercy. Maybe you can get through the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you can just read Psalm 42. Maybe you can only read Psalm 42 or Psalm 22. Sometimes that's all you can do to hang on. And so I encourage you guys as friends to hold on um, because it will, you will come through. Because the one who's taking you into it and taking you through it will see you through on the other side as well. I'll just come up and close after we do this uh, last song as well. You know, I, uh, I was th- I thinking back 20 years ago when I started coming to SunWest, I, uh, I remember the signage, that the 80s signage that Willie used, and uh, it said, real life, right now. And, uh, and it said things like authentic relationships. And it was the first time I feel like in my life where I went to a place where people were allowed to not be perfect in a church setting. Not just perfect, but, not just, but also not just happy all the time. Or, how are you doing? Great. They were allowed to say, I'm not doing very good. And I think this has always been a place where people have been able to be real. And I want to encourage that journey here. To say, this is a place that has always been a place you can be real. And you can always say what you really feel and what you really think. And whether you're on a spiritual high or you're on a dark night, And everything in between is okay. You're welcome here. I've just finished reading uh, a book called Silence by Shusaku Endu. Forgive my pronunciation. Japanese fella wrote a novel about um, missionaries that went from uh, Europe to Japan in the 1600s. So 100 years after St. John lived. Uh, we've got missionaries going into Japan, and Japan did not want them in. And it was a, they came up, up against brick walls and torture and uh, martyrdom continually. Um, and I, so I, I've just finished reading this book. I didn't know what it was about, but Matt gave it to me. He said, you've got to read this book. Or I think I got it from John, actually, who got it from Matt. He said, you've got to read this book. So I read it, and halfway through I realized this is, a, this is like a story of a guy going through a dark night of the soul. And so I just felt like I needed to read the end here. Uh, Without giving anything away, he's gone through a difficult time. A difficult, that's an understatement. Incredibly difficult season. And he says, 
that all that everything, everything he had done through his life, everything he had done in the last few years in Japan, he had not betrayed his Lord. And then he said, and he loved him now in a different way than before. Everything that had taken place, I say this dark night, everything that had taken place until now had been necessary to bring him to this love. Everything that had taken place until now had been necessary to bring him to this love, to this new place where we look and we say, I never knew that before. I never thought about God like that before. He's totally different than I thought he was. But actually, he isn't. He never changed. We did. And it's through those journeys that we change. So, let me pray. To close, Lord, may we be steadfast through dark nights. Pull us, push us, carry us through to the light of day so that we can be changed to have a deeper knowledge of God's love and a deeper union in our soul with God. Amen.